Hello, good morning. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Dustin. All right, thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, is this what we're going to do today? All right, I'm excited. Uh, my name is Dustin. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. I uh, lead Life Leadership College, and then I get to oversee Next Gen Ministries. And it's an honor to be here as we continue our summer series, Summer at Life Church. And our message today is entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? Which is pretty aggressive, I admit. You, we've already got one guy leaving. Like, that's that's true. Um, <laughs> Today, we're going to do something completely uncomfortable, and we're going to look inward. I'm going to get in trouble. Um, My goal today is to hold up a, a massive mirror in front of you so that you can look deep at your own reflection, regardless of if you like what you see or not, and ask the question, who am I? And that is unpleasant for many of us to do. Who am I? When you, when you think about all of creation, the, the stars and the planets and the trees and the grass and all of the animals, we as human beings are the only ones to wrestle with the issues of identity. Nature is never asking itself, who am I? Right? Kara and I, we have a pet bunny at home, a pet rabbit at home named Ozma. Uh, Some people have dogs, cats, hamsters, right? We have a pet rabbit at home. Ozma never has seen herself in the mirror, her reflection in the mirror, and thought, I've really got to do something about these ears. She's never looked out the window, seen other rabbits in our yard, and said, I wish I had her body. It just doesn't, that doesn't happen. She doesn't dwell on past mistakes. Like she's never thought to herself, I really shouldn't have bit through that cord. We've thought that she shouldn't have done that, but she's never thought that about herself. Ozma doesn't sit around all day contemplating whether or not she's living her life to the fullest. She's never misrepresented herself as being anything more than what she actually is. She is a rabbit and she is completely content with that. Why can't we do the same? For most of us, we will spend our entire lives wrestling with the question, who am I? What am I here for? What's my purpose? What am I doing with my life? And as we get older, those feelings don't don't fade. The questions might change slightly, but those feelings remain. We just, we might say, "Um, have I done enough? Am I leaving behind a legacy? Will the people I love most even remember me? All of these are questions of identity and purpose. And I I want to share with you today a story that answers these questions and more by, by showing us the source of our identity. By pointing us to the root of our identity, going to the core of the issue. It's a story that reminds us who we really are. So if you want to grab your Bibles, Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 3, I would encourage you to follow along with your Bibles or with your smartphones. You can pull up the Bible app there. There will be words on either side of me on the screens, but there's nothing like looking at your own book. 
we are going to be talking about the baptism of Jesus today, at least as a launching point. And uh, you, you might be familiar with the story. It is right before Jesus' public ministry. He goes to the waters to be baptized by his cousin John, the Baptist, John, John the Baptist. And that's where we're going to pick up verse 13. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water and at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It's a story that has been preached many times before, a story that you've most likely heard before, but this time I want us to focus on one thing in particular from this story. Where is Jesus getting his identity from? This is the interactive part of the message. Where is Jesus getting his identity from? Not a trick question. Yeah, from God, from, from heaven, from the voice of God the Father. So my question for you today is where do you get your identity from? As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, where do you get your identity from? Is it from, is it like Jesus from heaven, from the voice of God the Father, or is it from somewhere a bit closer to earth? The reality is for most of us, our identity is not rooted in heaven, but in somewhere a little bit closer to home. For some of us, our identity is rooted in performance. I am what I do. Identity rooted in performance. Imagine with me that you're at some kind of social gathering and when you don't know many people there at that place. Maybe it's a work thing. Maybe your spouse dragged you to some kind of event and you just don't know many people. And so you have to go around and make small talk. For some of you, that's, that's life-giving. For people like me, an introvert, this is actual hell. Uh, you've heard of the biblical phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth. This for me is a social gathering where I don't know anybody and I have to just go around and, and talk to people. So imagine you're at one of those social gatherings gatherings and you're just meeting someone new, what's one of the first questions that you ask them? What do you do? What do you do? And often people will respond, I do this or I do that. They, they give a resume, right? I'm an accountant or I'm a teacher. I'm a businessman. I'm a student. For some people, this is just a title. But for others of us, we wake up every day to do this. It is what we do. It is who we are. I am what I do. An identity rooted in performance. Maybe that's not you at all. Maybe for you, your identity is more rooted in your possessions. I am what I have or what I wear, or what I text on, or what I drive. I am what I have. We live in an increasingly materialistic society uh, where materialism has become a religion. Amazon.com has become a church. Shopping has become some kind of form of worship. And as with any kind of religion or form of spirituality, a lot of people look to these things for their identity. Fashion for a long time, for most of us, is more than just staying warm. It's an identity statement. Your uh, weekly, daily suit and tie and your fancy watch, those are identity statements. Or 
For some of you, your baggy shirt, your uh, skinny jeans, your tattoo that says something in a language you don't even for sure know what it says, and like a, fl- a tattoo of a flower, you've definitely got a flower somewhere. Those are identity statements. And those things aren't necessarily wrong. The suit and tie is fine. The, the, the baggy shirt, skinny jeans, those things are okay. Those things aren't wrong, but they do speak to one's identity. Think of a a suburban home versus a loft downtown or think of a BMW versus a motorcycle. Again, none of those things are inherently wrong, but for a lot of people, things aren't just things, they are identities. Maybe for you, your identity is rooted in your passions. I am what I want. The most obvious form of this in our day and age is sexuality where some people define who they are based on their sexual orientation. And while your sexuality is very important, it's, it's a part of your humanity, is it the most important thing about you? Is it who you are? We all have desires. Some of, them, some, some of our passions are intimate, of the intimate nature, sexuality, love, uh, relationships, romance. But some of it is more inconsequential than that. So some of you are foodies. You are passionate about food. You are on a quest to find Wisconsin's best cheese curds, right? Like, I know where those are, but if you think you've got a better one, please let me know because I am on my quest. But uh, some of you, that is what you live to do. Like, you are passionate about food, For others of you, you don't feel alive unless you are somewhere else. Travel. Travel is your identity, or at least a part of it. Others of us, it's hobbies. Woodcutting, writing, hiking, podcasting, watching Netflix. Like, that's a hobby. You have identities. Some of us have identities wrapped up in our hobbies. These things define you. Sure, these desires are true of you. That's not the question. But are they the truest thing of you? That is the question. Performance, possessions, passions, but maybe for you, it's none of those. Maybe for you, your identity is rooted in popularity. I am what others think of me. Some of us have never grown out of this middle school mentality. You know, of what I'm talking about, this middle school insecurity. Do you ever walk into a room, be honest with yourself, do you ever walk into a room and feel the pressure to be cooler than what you actually are? You ever walk into the room and, and you, you feel like you need to try to be better looking or better educated or better fill in the blank? Do you ever feel this pressure to project an image of yourself to the room that does not quite line up with reality? An airbrushed version of yourself. And this is more than just metaphorical. I've seen your Instagram. I've seen your Facebook. Like I know that some of you think the best invention in the 21st century is the filter, right? You, you can make things smaller or bigger or brighter or lighter. Some of you, it looks like you're really good at makeup and you don't even know what you're doing, but you've got the filter for it, right? There's always a filter for it. Uh, and, and like, again, these things aren't necessarily wrong, but the problem here is that there is always going to be someone that is cooler than you. Sorry, like there's always going to be someone that's smarter than you, smarter than me. There's always going to be someone that's more successful than you. If you live your life playing king of the hill, even if you win, you will not stay there long. 
There are all sorts of places that we get our identity from. We could continue to go on, but I don't have any more like P words. I was going with all P's there. So like uh, whether it's performance or passions or popularity or possessions, that's not an exhaustive list. But the danger here is that all of those identities can and will be taken from you. And if you get your identity from those things, who are you when those things are gone? If you get your identity from performance, I am what I do, what happens when you lose your job? What happens when you're passed over for a promotion? What happens when you're 30-something and you still don't know what you're doing with your life? What happens when your job is replaced by a robot in three years? You know they're coming for you. Like, I think I've got a little bit more job security. I'm a pastor, pastor robot. That's about 10 years probably down the road. But the robots are coming for your job. What are you going to do? They write that down if you're taking notes. The robots are coming. Uh, what are you doing when, when your job is not there? What are you doing when you no longer have your career or your job title? Who are you then? If you get your identity from your passions, Sorry, possessions, we'll do that one since we'll go in order. If you get your identity from your possessions, what happens when your possessions disappear? Who are you without your car? Who are you without your iPhone, without your coin collection? Whatever it is for you, whatever it is that you possess and that is your identity, what happens when those things disappear, when those things lose value? Who are you if you get your identity from passions and those things fade? When it comes to passions, you know that you are going to age, right? Like you know that you, you get older and things stop working and gravity will eventually win out, whatever that means for you. Like no matter the amount of surgery or money you put into this thing, you can only do so much before you start looking like an alien. Like that's just the reality. And no matter what you're passionate about, passions fade over time. And so that as the years progress, your passions or your abilities or whatever will, uh, will denigrate, will, they will lessen. If you get your identity from popularity, what happens when you change jobs or when you relocate? What happens when Facebook is no longer cool and you come to realize that the 3,000 people weren't your friends after all? Like, like, what then? And we laugh because it's, I mean, partially because it's funny, but partially because it's uncomfortable because we know that we attach a lot of our meaning and our purpose and who we are to some of these things that are fleeting. In fact, the scripture calls it, Jesus' words, shifting sands. And I, I know what you're thinking as I say this. Like it's, it's easy for Jesus to get his identity from heaven. Uh, it's because Jesus came up out of the water, right? And had a dove and like all of those things. Like he had that moment. And after all, he is Jesus. That's not me. You don't know me. I, I would love it, right? I'm sure you would love it too. If we came out of the baptism waters at home, out of the bathtub, and a dove flew at our face and we heard God from heaven saying, this is who you are. This is what my, this is what your purpose is. Like I could live on that for a long time. You could live on that for a long time, but that just doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen. We read the story of, of Jesus' baptism and we think that is good for Jesus, but that is not true for me. Or is it? Ephesians chapter one, 
It's where I want us to go. We're going to spend the rest of our time there. And we're going to do something unusual. Go, go ahead and turn from Matthew to Ephesians chapter one. I'm going to read a lengthy portion of text. We, again, we don't typically do this. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to interject. I'm not going to give kind of any uh, talk through the different verses. We're not even going to look at each verse necessarily in particular. I want us to read the whole passage. And as I read it over you, I want you all to do me a favor and just kind of look out for a reoccurring phrase there. There's going to be a few things that repeat, but there's going to be one consistent theme and just a couple of words, a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses here to describe us. He's going to use it over and over and over and over and over again. Again, lengthy passage, but rich. So if you'll just follow along with me as I read Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse seven, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions. To God be the glory. Did you catch the key phrase here that Paul uses time and time again? Yeah, he says, in Christ, in him, in Christ. By far, this is Paul's favorite way to talk about our identity. It is used some like 250 times in the New Testament, primarily by Paul to tell you and me who we are in Christ. And what he means by this is that when you are saved, when you place your faith in Jesus, you become a follower of him. In that moment, you are brought into alignment with, you are brought into union with Christ. Which means, get this, everything that is true about Christ is now true about you. What is true about Christ is true about you. And, and trying to think of a good way to illustrate this, I was brought back to the story of David and Goliath. How many of you know the story of David and Goliath? You familiar with the story of David and Goliath? Just a few of you. All right, uh, quick recap. Uh, Goliath, very big guy. David, really small guy. Stone, sling, hit, dead. That's, that's David and Goliath. Um, now, we're not going to go back and, and kind of rehash the story. I just told it to you, so uh, you don't have to. But um, in that story, David won a very real victory. 
a very real victory for himself. I mean, he was the one fighting and he's the one that took out the giant. But um, what, what many of us don't know, because the geography of that time, it's hard, but the very next village on that battle route was David's hometown. Meaning if David had lost that battle, his mom and his dad and his brothers and his sisters would have been slaughtered. After them, his tribe, after them, the rest of Israel. So this was a real victory for David. But in that moment, David's victory became all of Israel's victory. In that moment of of victory, David's freedom became all of Israel's freedom. And in the same way, through Jesus' death, life, and resurrection, as he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, his victory became our victory. His freedom became our freedom. This is what I mean when I say what is true about Christ is true about you. And this is amazing news. This is where we get the cliche, uh, when God sees you, or when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. Have you heard that before? Have you said that before? You've seen it as like a Facebook status uh, before a tweet. It's an oversimplification, but the truth is still here. When God looks at you, he still sees you, but he sees you in Christ. He sees you through the lens of Jesus. And that is the foundation and the root of your identity. Look back through Ephesians chapter one, what we just read. Hopefully you haven't closed it up yet. I want to just point to you a few of the things that in Christ you are. Paul says this, God is speaking through him. God says this about you in Christ, you are these things. If you write in your Bible, highlight or underline or circle or whatever, if you're taking notes, you can maybe just jot down these verses and I'll just pull out a few. But in verse three, you can see there that in Christ, you are blessed with every spiritual blessing. Actually think about this. What does that mean for you? You are blessed with every spiritual blessing. In verse four, you are chosen before the creation of the world. Chosen. Some of us uh, barely get chosen for anything, right? Like we've been in sports before and we're always the last one to get picked. God chose you before the creation of the world, before he even knew how good you were at basketball or any of the other sports in that analogy. In verse four, you are holy. You are blameless. In verse five, we see that in Christ, you are loved. We are predestined, adopted as sons and daughters. Also in verse five, we are under God's pleasure and in God's will. What does that mean for you? In verse seven, we are redeemed. In Christ, we are forgiven and rich in God's grace. We see in verse eight, one of my favorite, we are wise and understanding, right? In Christ, we can actually be wise and understanding. Verse 12, we are for the praise of his glory. In verse 13, it says that we are included. In Christ, we are saved. And in verse 14, in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We are God's special possession. And all of that is just in a few verses. Paul goes on and on and on like this in the next three chapters, chapter one, two, and three of Ephesians. He is just saying, you are this, you are this, you are this, you are this. And I know that every time that I've said that so far in this message, some of you have thought, no, I am not. 
Pastor Dustin, if you only knew what I've done, if you only know, knew who I am. Like when I come to church, that's one me. But when, I, when, I'm, when I'm home on the weekend, whatever, I, there's a different me. If you only knew, if you only knew that I am addicted to pornography, I am not holy. If you only knew that I'm living with my boyfriend, I, I know what God has to say about that. I'm not blameless. I'm not chosen. I'm not predestined. I don't even know what those mean. So how can that be true about me? You've got to remember here what, what, what is, what, what's being said, that this is who you are in Christ. So remember, everything that is true about Christ is now true about you. So what that means is this, whether you believe it or not, and whether this is actually like your present, uh, this is true about you. Christ is holy. Yes, Christ is holy. And if that is true and you are in Christ, then you too are holy. Christ is blameless. We're not going to disagree with that, right? Christ is blameless. So if you are in Christ, then you too are blameless. And here's the cool part. That's not only true about you theologically, that is becoming true of you in reality. You are in the process of becoming who you really are in Christ. Therefore, not only your identity is not rooted in your performance, your passions, or your possessions, or popularity, your identity is also not rooted in your past or in your present, but in your future. Most of you, most of us look to the past or the present for our identity, right? Either at the things that we've done well, the things that we've done poorly, the things that we're currently doing well or poorly. If someone were to come up to me and say, Dustin, tell me about yourself, I would most likely go to the past. I would say that I am a pastor's kid. I grew up in church. I always liked God. I never really had like a full on rebellious stage, although I was a pretty bad like middle schooler. Like that was a pretty bad time in my life. But I, I always knew that I wanted to be a pastor. These things are all of my past. Or I could answer a, a description more of the present, right? I, I speak to people for a living. That's what I do. But believe it or not, I'm actually an introvert. Uh, if you want to label me, I'm a classic type A type individual. Uh, I'm probably, this is, some of you are going to love this, I'm, I'm probably a, a one-wing nine for those of you that love Enneagram, right? I'm a Ravenclaw uh, perfectionist. I can always see what's wrong with other people, uh, but I have trouble seeing what's wrong with myself. I give myself a lot more grace than I give other people. Uh, I've, like, like this, is who I, this is who I currently am. It's an it's a identity rooted in my presence. And, and those things, at least most of those things are true of me, but the question is, are they the truest thing about me? What if my identity was rooted in Christ, not in my past, who I was, not in my present, who I am, but in the future, who I am becoming. Dustin, who are you? I am a son of the king. I don't have to strive for some fictitious perfection because I am already made perfect in him. I don't, I don't have a pervasive need to please others. There's a freedom and a peace that is in my life that gives me day-to-day -day joy that cannot be taken away from me by person or circumstance. That is who I am. 
Now, follow me. By timeline, that is not who, that, like, that is not who I am yet, but that is who I am becoming. And that is who you are becoming. In your own way, that is who you are becoming in Christ. And please don't misunderstand me. Uh, what I'm not saying is that, uh, like, this is not some name it, claim it theology. You can't just say I'm one thing and then you magically become that thing. That's not what this is. I'm also not disregarding the sin that is in your life. Nothing will distort your identity more than sin. But look at what Paul says after three chapters of telling you who you are. Again, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, he's just saying, you are this, you are this, you are this. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, we see his first command in the entire letter, his first directive in the entire book. And catch what this says. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, all right, so after all of this, since you are this, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To live a life worthy of the calling you have received. This is who you are. Now live up to it. This is what Paul is saying here. On my wedding day, I became a husband to my wife. And I had had no practice before then. Like they don't have husband school. They don't have an academy for dumb bachelors. Like you just have to get into it and then try to feel your way around and, and, and guess, like a lot of it's just like, let me try this. Nope, that was bad. <laughs> and you just do that again and again and again until you're eventually somewhat decent at it. Like I, 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 as we were there on our wedding day, standing under that enormous tree in front of all of our families and friends, family and friends with no previous practice, I became a husband. It didn't matter if I was a good husband or a bad husband. And believe me again, it took many years to get to where I am now, still haven't arrived. But in that moment, I became a husband. I will never be less of a husband or more of a husband than what I was on that day. None of my behaviors will change the fact that I am a husband to Kara. And I will spend the rest of my life learning to be who I already am. Learning how to live up to the calling I already have over my life. And I know that this is a countercultural way to look at identity. Where your identity is rooted not in the shifting sands of what you do or, or, or what other people think of you or what they say about you, but in who you are becoming in Christ. It isn't rooted in your past performance, uh, who you used to be. It's not rooted in your present even. It is rooted in your future and who you are becoming. And when you start to see the way that God sees you, it changes everything. It changes everything. We, we've had a timely reminder in this recent, I mean, days ago, right? Release of a remake of Disney's Lion King. Some of you have seen it. I haven't yet. Don't know if I will. I love the original. Don't want to have my memories messed up. Uh, but I, I know it's conflicted anyways. In the original movie, there's a scene that is my favorite, and I hope they replicated it well in the new one, uh, where 
Simba, the, the son, if you don't know the story, also if you don't know the story, what? Uh, is speaking to the clouds, and in the clouds is Mufasa, his, his, his dad. And he, Mufasa from the clouds speaks down in, a, in James Earl Jones' deep, powerful, rumbling voice. And he says to Simba, you have forgotten who you are because you have forgotten me. And Simba looks back up into the clouds and he says, how can I go back? I'm not who I used to be. Mufasa responds, remember who you are. You are my son. And in that moment, everything changes. From that moment forward, Simba has this renewed sense of pride and understanding of who he is and what he is supposed to do simply because he remembers that he is the son of the king. I get that some of you are unhappy with who you are right now. Like you don't like what you see in the mirror, either in reality or metaphorically or whatever. You don't like what you've done. Some of you are living with regrets of the past that weigh you down and every morning you wake up with that. Every night you go to sleep with it. I get that some of you are stuck in toxic patterns that are destructive to your own soul. I get it. But that is not who you are. And that is not who you are becoming. And the invitation of God today to you is to be who you already are. Until your identity is rooted in who you are loved by, you will never have the freedom and the faith and the courage to actually step out into God's glorious calling for your life. So I ask you again, who do you think you are? God, we come before you in this moment and we kind of just lay out who we are before you, all of the impurities that come with that, all of the imperfections, all of the flaws. God, if we have identified ourselves by anything else, I pray that you would remove those things from our life so that we could only be found in you. God, for those of us that came in this room today without a relationship with you, I pray that in this moment, you would bring salvation to, to them and their family. God, that in this moment, that they would place their hope and their faith and their trust in you. And that they would say that now for the first time, I am in Christ. God, I pray that all of us would find ourselves there today. God, that we wouldn't that we wouldn't attach who we are to anything other than you. Everything else is shifting sands. It might hold us up in the moment, but in the midst of a storm or just throughout time, those things will fade away. Their power will, will wither. God, I pray that instead of placing our identity on things or on what people say about us or on the past or even the present, God, that we would look towards the future of where we're headed in you. God, that we would live up to the name that you've given us. Son, daughter, special possession, 
forgiven, holy, blameless, righteous. God, may we step into that new reality today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.